If I could take anything out of Wednesday's NXT TakeOver, it would be that the women's division is in a transition. Sasha Banks is transitioning <laughs> to the roster full-time, the WWE roster. Bailey is transitioning to being a leader of that division. Transition. My good friend Doc Manson and I are also in a transition. For this is no longer the Neighborhood Podcast. This is also not yet DDT Wrestling. DC and Doc Talk Wrestling. So there is no intro except for this long rambling of mine. Do you have anything to say there, Doc Manson, over there? No, I'm just enjoying you fumbling around, just, you know, with those big meaty mitts of yours, trying to keep yourself above water, the worst sort of doggy paddle I've ever seen. Keep going. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. My name is DC Matthews, at DC Matthews NAI. I am joined, as always, by the officially unendorsed Doc Manson, at Doc Manson. Welcome to our, for this episode at least, unnamed podcast. Doc Manson, how you doing? I am doing fantastic, DC. And, you know, you bring up some good points about transitions, and this really is no longer the Neighborhood Podcast. We're transitioning into our new form. Our, uh, our metamorphosis is almost complete, hopefully by next week. But, uh... You know, I mean, I was just curious, like, how is this going to work? Because, I mean, like, okay, we're the neighborhood. I mean, you were the neighborhood podcast. And you did how many episodes by yourself? I want to say right around 12. I don't even know how many you and I did. We've done a couple down in the basement over there at your place. We've done a couple now in this distance method. So I think, like, I want to say I was in the single digits somewhere for at least a episode, but I don't know if that's true. That might be true. Somebody who has listened to all of these shows, and goodness knows that's not us, uh, can can tell us. And I want to make sure that we're clear. We're not abandoning the neighborhood. The neighborhood is still going to be a very big part of our show. In fact, I have a long list of members of the neighborhood who have chimed in to give us topics for this week's episode. But since we're not going to be talking to you, I'm DC Matthews. This is Doc Manson. We're going to talk wrestling the DDT is. Do I need to explain why the name makes sense? Absolutely. If All you right. think it makes sense, because I'm not sure if it does. Well, long ago there was a wrestler named Jake the Snake Roberts, and apparently, if you believe the mythology, he was the first person to get someone in a front face lock and drop them on their forehead, and thus the DDT was born. I don't know what it stands for besides a pesticide. You're the scientist. That's a pesticide, right? DDT. Uh, sure. Let's go with that. All right. It always bothers me when I ask you a science question and I don't get an immediate, long-winded answer. So, uh, no, I mean that's for the purposes of this podcast. That's good enough. Of, that's a good enough response. You have a better one though, but you're just choosing not to. Okay, I don't. You know, in the interest of maybe at some point getting to uh, talking about something other than what a DDT is. Oh, you, you mean we're four minutes in? You'd like to actually talk about some wrestling here? No, I don't want to talk about wrestling, but I, 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 you, you said you were going to tell them why it was called DDT, then you started talking about what a DDT was. I thought you were going to say, you know, DC Matthews, Doc Manson, double Ds of talking wrestling. DDT, 
wrestling. See, I just and? wanted you to do it. I served it up oh. for you, and you right. spiked it home. Very. I nice. do what I can. <laughs> I'm the alley. You're the oop. You're the spicy. I'm oop. the savory. All right. All right. Uh, fun story. Yeah, but- there, there were pumpkin spice Oreos at work today. I did not try oh, one. They oh, looked disgusting. Oh Transition, because I have a pumpkin spice update for the neighborhood. I consume a number of pumpkin spice items during the month of October, against my better judgment, perhaps. And it's funny you should bring up specifically the pumpkin spice Oreos, because those happen to be on the list of confections that I tried this past week. And I gotta tell you, DC, I think you made a big mistake by passing over the pumpkin spice Oreos. They are delectable, delicious. They are heavenly, and if you might you know, want to use the hyperbole, they are delicious. Okay, I would say go back tomorrow. If there's any more, not tomorrow, I guess Monday, but if there's any of those pumpkin spice Oreos left, you've got to have a bite. They've got the, that, that nice um, that shortbread sort of cookie, the, the, the yellow cookie, and the inside is the pumpkin spice sort of filling. And, you know, you would take a bite out of it, and honestly, I don't even think necessarily that pumpkin spices the most accurate descriptor of these cookies. Uh, around the holidays, Mrs. Manson sometimes makes like a um, a gingerbread cookie with butterscotch chips in it. And actually, these pumpkin spice cookies have a very sort of similar flavor. There's that spice, you know, and then there's, there's that sweetness, and they, they are delicious. They're probably my favorite pumpkin spice item that I've had this season. You, sir, should try them if you get the chance. Two things. Uh-huh. Number one, I work in a public school. It's Columbus Day. I don't go to school on Monday. Number You're two. Terrible. Number two. I have a problem with any Oreo that isn't the brown cookie. I, 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 I actually, I agree with you. I was against it. But, um, you know, if you, uh, if you, if you've got it, if you've got to go, if you got to go without the brown, then this is the way to go. That was almost a bumper sticker we couldn't advertise on this show. Fair enough. Uh, but okay, uh, so okay, no, wait, 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 wait. I have to ask because the the neighborhood is going to want to know. Um, do you twist and pull an Oreo cookie? Do you just bite into it? Do you have some sort? What is your methodology for eating an Oreo? Well, for the pumpkin spice, uh, I, I pretty much just bite into it. I did try, you know, I did try the twist and pull method. I, I, I have a vested interest. There's all these different types of Oreos now, and I don't know if you know this, uh, DC, but they all have different consistencies to the filling. And so sometimes, some some of these cookies, when you when you when you twist and pull, you get a clean pull. So all the cream is on one side, and the other side is a fairly clean uh, cookie half. Uh, the regular Oreos do that rather well, but some of the flavored Oreos, in fact, do not. They split the cream, they leave a residue. Some of them have like a higher, I don't know if it's a fat content or just a greasier ratio, and they don't split as cleanly. Um, so some Oreos, there's a difference, man. There, don't give me that look, okay? Don't give me that look. There's a difference, and uh, I will report that the pumpkin spice pull apart clean. To get the full flavors, I do recommend eating them as a complete sandwich. And, of course, your uh, any Oreo experience, in my opinion, cannot be complete without also the dunk test uh, into a nice glass of milk. So, uh, you know... Did, did you do the dunk test with the pumpkin spice Oreos? I, you know, I'm going to be honest, I have not done the dunk test with the pumpkin spice Oreos. If you got but, a pumpkin spice, like coffee or latte and then dipped the pumpkin spice oreo would you what would that accomplish some sort of 
pumpkin spice vortex that would pull you into an alternate dimension where everything was pumpkin spice. The Spice Girls just... were pumpkin spice. Ooh. I like the idea of that. Uh, okay. No, no, I don't know. I think it would just probably put crumbs in my latte, and I'm not a big fan of that. So. I, I, have to, I have to stay on the Oreos track for just a minute. I'm now going to be the one keeping you from making the transitions. That's okay. I saw at the store a cookies and cream Oreo which I I stood there and stared, giving a look that you're giving me right now, because isn't the whole basis of cookies and cream flavor that it tastes like an Oreo? Yeah, you're so, right. I That's awesome. So this is a cookies and speaking cream. So of falling, a- speaking of falling into a vortex, like that's like the world just collapsing on itself, isn't it? it was cookies very and cream true. Oreos. I, if it wasn't for the fact that if I buy a box or a bag or whatever you call it of Oreos, I have to eat all the Oreos. If they had had them in the individual packs, I would have tried one just to see if I had traveled to a parallel universe. Here's here's another question for you about the Oreos. I have noted that a fresh bag of Oreos, when you first open it, if you that that immediate cookie, the first crunch, there's a crispness there. That fades even within 24 hours. Have you noticed that? If, you, if oh. you don't eat the whole bag, like, immediately... I mean, don't get me wrong, an Oreo a day later is still good. But once that bag, once that seal has been broken, there's, there's a countdown. And, and they're just never as good as they are at that first, that first moment. I'm not really sure I've ever had a bag of Oreos last 24 hours. But oh, even after enough. six or eight hours, there's a definite... You know, it's almost a staleness that you. I think they just. I think the cookie takes on moisture from the air. I think it just it loses its crispness very quickly. I think it's just taking on moisture. It's. It's. I don't know. It's kind of gross. Still tasty, but you know, you know, whatever. All right. Well, now that we've completed the, we've hit the ten minute mark of the Oreo podcast. And we sure have so- Oreo orations with DC Matthews <laughs> and Doc Manson. That's a hashtag right there. Tell us more about your pumpkin experience. Okay, so moving on from the Oreos, I also got... I don't know what the brand name on this is, but there's these little tins of latte mix that they sell in stores. They, The company, whatever it is, has some fancy Italian name. They're actually owned by Maxwell House, so I don't really know if it really matters what their name is. But regardless, they have a pumpkin spice limited edition latte mix. I decided that I would get this because the tin with like you know 17 servings and it was like three dollars versus the, was it shaped um, like a pumpkin was the, the tin, tin was shaped not. like a pumpkin no it was just their standard little rectangular a missed opportunity i admit but it was their standard sort of packaging for their all their flavors i had had the starbucks latte instant latte at home uh two weeks ago and those were delectable delicious and so i wanted to compare this to that and this is still good but it's not 17 servings okay um you've put in the recommended amount into a six ounce cup of water uh, which is i think three teaspoons and that is a weak ass latte okay and there's like no flavor to it you're kind of like this is this is this is water with maybe something crappy in it i don't know what this is it's just still water. I don't know. It's not good. So yeah, yeah I'm going to tell you right now the secret. If you ever get any of these latte mixes, uh, again, I wish I had the company, but again, it's on the house. It's some Italian name. It says Maxwell House on the side. Whatever. It, the key is you double what they tell you. So uh, they tell you three rounded teaspoons. You go for the full six, maybe even seven. All right, and that is going to get you a decent 
a decent cup of latte that's so comparable, perhaps. So to it's the more Starbucks like so it's more like eight eight and a half servings, not seventeen. Yeah, it's it's less for sure. But again, I, I only paid three dollars for the ten versus. I mean, the Starbucks is outrageous. You get five packets for five servings, and it's like six bucks even on sale. I think regular price is like eight. It's it's ridiculous. Um, so that's really you know not worth it. But you know, this I think was a good trade off. It's not as good as the Starbucks one for sure. But you know, for the price, it'll do in a pinch. Oh, and the other thing is, they say you can use it as a non dairy creamer. I haven't tried that yet, but I'm going to make up to some regular coffee at some point. And I'm going to use that as my creamer in the coffee, and so that should get me a nice sort of uh, pumpkin spice, you know, just regular coffee as opposed to a latte. And I'm looking forward, sir, to trying that. I will report back maybe next week. I don't drink coffee. You're, you're a terrible person. Uh, so moving on, because that's, you know, just a fact. Um, pumpkin Spice update number three. The next item on my list uh, is we talked a little bit about uh, Brock's candy corn, right? Brock Lesnar's, can- Brock Lesnar's candy corn, right? That's uh, Yeah, correct. Exactly. I okay. think that's This who- is a wrestling podcast, folks. I, I promise Indeed. we'll get we're to talking, it. We're, we're talking about Brock Lesnar right now. He makes candy corn uh, on his farm in Minnesota, right? So, yes, he does. Okay, so... Right, we're definitely talking wrestling at this point. And he brewed up this year a batch of pumpkin spice candy corn. We talked a little bit about how I had seen s'mores candy corn and wanted to try that. I found at Target a giant-ass bag of pumpkin spice candy corn. And I'll be honest with you, it was against my better judgment. I said, you know, this is a really large bag. I really wish they had a bag that was half this size, a quarter of this. This is like their giant bag of candy corn. You know, like this isn't even like that normal sort of small bag that you just kind of get. This is a giant bag of flavored candy corn. And I've got to say, I open that thing up at home, you take a whiff, it smells pretty good. It's like... Okay, yeah, we're getting a nice pumpkin spice flavor. It's a nice aroma. And then you, you, know, you take up the candy corn. You're looking at it. You're holding it in your hand. It's got a nice sort of look to it. It looks like your normal sort of standard candy corn. It's got a nice density to it. It's got a little bit of a flexibility to it if you roll it in your hand, as you do with candy corn, to assess whether or not it is of quality or not. And then you put it into your mouth, and you chew it a little bit, and you realize that you've been fucking had. Okay? You've been had. Because this is the grossest crap that you could ever possibly put into your mouth. Brock, I'm coming for you. My apologies to all of those out there who were expecting DDT Wrestling, or in this case, DDT Pumpkin, to be a family show. We could go. You could get a time mark real quick and edit that out if you no, want. No, it's Put fine. a nice beep in over it. I, I, I think that's okay. If we get to the point where we need to start censoring ourselves like that, we'll we'll deal with that. We'll need a producer. Right. We'll need to hire a producer. All right. Fair so, enough. the candy corn not so good. Brock's would, pumpkin spice candy corn is not recommended. Will you? Don't don't even don't don't just don't just don't never n- don't no. No pumpkin spice candy corn. All right. Doc Matthews. Although I will say, oh, I brought Jesus. them home. Uh, I was visiting with my parents, and my father, you know, he's whatever. But I was said, here, try these. You know, with a look on my face of, yeah, these aren't very good. And he's like, they're all right. They're kind of better than the regular ones. They're not as sweet. You can eat more of these. So, Papa Manson endorses Brock's pumpkin spice candy corn. Frankly, I think he's crazy, but evidently that's the case. I think you need to write at some point, and we're gonna, I have a segue planned here. Are you done with the pumpkin spice, or is there more? 
That's it. All right. I think you should write at some point um, the definitive guide to eating candy corn because I've eaten candy corn for probably the most majority of my life, and I don't think at any point I've ever considered the density or the flexibility of each kernel of candy corn. You're missing out on the finer points of life. Speaking of writing, Doc Manson has been doing a bit of writing, but not on NewAgeInsiders.com. That will come later, I'm hoping. Well, you know, I still can only write on Fridays, and I never... I'm working think, on it. I, n- I never think... <laughs> on it. Honestly, that's part of the problem is I don't, I don't do anything ahead of time. And when I th- by the time it gets to Friday, and if I, if, I, if, if I even have the thought of I should write something on NAI... And every time I want to write something for them, I always feel like, well, I should probably do some sort of order- article that's well-researched and, like, you know, make some logical, valid points and is a decent piece to actually be read. And then by the time I actually think at all about that, Friday's over, and so then I don't think about it until the next week because I can't post it. So, I mean, I don't know if the New Age insiders are listening here, but uh, Doc Manson is appealing to you. I am appealing to you. Open. Open your garden doors. Let us in. Let let us let us let us just go forth, be fruitful. Let us fill your garden with all sorts of wonderful blooming things. Okay, I've lost right. the analogy. I'm losing. That's it. okay. Yeah, I'll make a personal appeal as chief of staff of the New Age Insiders, Jason, Liam, Bill. If you're listening to this, and you tell me that you are, so I hope that you are. Can we get my friend Doc Manson here full time posting privileges? On NewAgeInsiders.com. But I don't. I, I, I just want to clarify. Even if I get these posting privileges, uh, I, that does not make me endorsed by anybody. Okay? I continue no. to be officially unendorsed. You will be unendorsed until the day this podcast is over. Uh, when Thank we you. actually get to episode 100, we considered the merits of just calling this. Once we officially become DDT Wrestling, we might just start with episode 100 and just go from there, or episode 457, or something like that. That's fine. But, so Doc may be writing on NewAgeInsiders.com, but what he has been writing is over there at his other website, because if you don't know this, Doc Manson is... The B-Movie Geek. And over there on bmoviegeek.com, that is the website, right? bmoviegeek.com? It is. All right. Correct. Doc Manson has been updating us on his Shocktober. So before we get into the wrestling, and I don't care that we're only 20 minutes into this podcast, and the only wrestling (laughs) that we've talked about is Brock Lesnar's candy corn, fill us in, please, on some, you don't have to give us all of it, but some of your Shocktober Halloween viewing. Okay, for those of you who are not familiar with Shocktober, this is my October horror movie challenge, which is basically to watch 31 movies in 31 days. And because I'm a psychopath, I've also decided to try to write something about each of the movies that I watch on my website, which, I, honestly, I, I haven't uh, been updating too much. The last posts before this Shocktober were from 2014, and I think that was only maybe a string of like three or four posts, and the time that I posted before that was 2013 or 2012. So I, I updated this site a lot back in the day. This, it hasn't been this updated makes too me, much recently. This makes me feel really optimistic about getting you full-time posting privileges on NewAgeInsiders.com. All right, so three times a year, Doc will write an article, but as long as he can do it on a Sunday at 2 a.m., that's all that matters. Continue. Absolutely. Um, so... I am updating the site, like I said, because I'm crazy. I'm writing something about 
each of the movies that I watch. So far, I've been doing full reviews. At some point, that's probably going to slip, and I'm going to have to start writing shorter articles. I'd honestly like to start writing about the candy corn and the other pumpkin spice type items. Um, I don't know if anybody would be interested in actually reading those, but I don't know. I'm passionate about it. But yeah, getting back to the movies, um, you know, I haven't watched a lot of movies uh, in the last few years. I, I honestly fell behind with even a lot of stuff that I knew I would love. So, like, I'm really just taking this opportunity to kind of go back. I love horror movies. Go back and see some of those films that I never really got a chance to see when they came out. And uh, so, yeah, it's all new movies, things I haven't seen before. At least that's the plan. And, yeah, the first one I think I talked about last week was Zombievers. It was a pretty good horror comedy. And, you know, relevant to uh, our audience here in the neighborhood. Uh, my second film, The Second Night, you can find the review on bmoviegeek.com, was for See No Evil 2, starring Kane. Yes, that's right, considerate corporate Kane, our very own from the WWE. He stars as the villain, Jacob Goodnight. He is, you know, here to just hack and slash and kill every single person that he can possibly get his mitts on. And, you know, I talked on the neighborhood about possibly watching this movie. Some people tried to steer me away from it. They said it wasn't very good. Uh... And, you know, it wasn't very good, but it wasn't bad. I've seen a lot worse. I've seen some Z-grade movies, and this thing was well-made. The cinematography was beautiful. There were some really cool shots. There were some inventive ideas. Um, there was this one scene that I, I, I wrote about it in the article as well, but there's this one scene where there's a man in a wheelchair, and uh, Goodnight, uh, Kane's character, comes up on him with this uh, hook on a chain, and he swings it around, he throws it at the guy, he knocks him out of the wheelchair, he swings it around again, he throws the hook at him, and the hook lands in the guy's leg. And so he's pulling this guy back, you know, with his hook in his leg, just like pulling at him, pulling at him. And the thing that I thought was really cool about the scene, DC, I know you're enthralled. The thing that was really cool about this le- the, 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 this thing was, this is a paralyzed guy in a wheelchair. And so there was this, this weird disconnect. Like, he looks down at his leg, and there's this hook in it. It's kind of gory and all that. But he has no reaction to it. He has no pain, right? Because he doesn't feel anything in his legs. And so there was this weird sort of silent disconnect in this scene that I actually really appreciated. There was no pain in this super violent act that was sort of happening to this person. And I don't know, I've never really seen anything like that in a movie before. I thought it was a fantastic idea. I have to give the Soska sisters, the directors, credit uh, for putting that in their film. I thought it worked very well, unique. I hadn't seen something like it before. Can I ask a question? You sure can. Uh, could this guy in the wheelchair move his arms? He sure could. He was not a quadriplegic. Could he then pull the hook out and leave? Cause if I he's mean, not possibly. Feeling any, if he's not feeling any pain, couldn't he have just reached down and... Well, I mean, he had been knocked out of his wheelchair, so he was oh, sort of okay. trying to crawl away, and he was being pulled by, you know, a seven-foot-tall monster, and this was, you know, a normal-sized human being. So it was probably kind of hard to actually re- have any slack in the chain to then remove the hook. Yeah, I don't know if you know how fishing works, but once the hook is in and there's, you know, attention to the line, it's really hard to actually get that to slip out. Um, so same sort of idea. I went to a fishing derby when I was probably eight or nine with my uncle, and I I got bored really easily, so we bought fish off the next person, and I took it home and bragged to my parents that I caught a lot of fish. I totally lied. Did they know you were lying? Uh, I think eventually they found out. Mm, Were they disappointed? Um, Only that I think I probably had to pay some sort of money to enter the fishing derby. And within like 15 minutes, I was like, this is the most boring thing I've ever done in my life. My apologies to all the fishery fans. All right. So, See No Evil 2 was good. 
It was Very okay, cool. yeah. I mean, I, I think it was all right. I'm sorry, what were you going to say? I'm, I was just going to try to move us oh, along. Oh, get me there, back so. on track? Yeah, I mean, I'll just... I, I, I'll have just some que- I have some other questions for you that are horror movie-based. Um, all right, the first, feel free. The, the first one... Let me go through my list I, first, or...? No, because you mentioned Jacob Goodnight, which had me thinking about names of horror movies. Off the top of your head, the best horror movie character name. Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, Jacob Goodnight. Do you have a personal favorite? Oh, um... You can say no, you can think about it and get back to me, that's fine. Yeah, I guess I probably would have to get back to you, but, um... I mean, the best name. Oh, man... Uh, For those of you who don't know, Doc is looking off camera to actually check out his library to see if anything jumps out at him. While he's doing that, I'll point out, not only do I not like pumpkin, not only do I not like fishing, not only do I not like coffee, I don't like uh, horror movies. I'm not into getting scared. (laughs) Fear is not an emotion I'm willing to pay for unless we go to that place in New Hampshire that we occasionally go to, which... When this podcast is over, we should probably talk about that. So, absolutely, um, yeah. I mean, I, I, in terms of a favorite name, I mean, I don't really know. I've always been partial to uh, Fred Krueger as a character. I don't know if the name necessarily is all that. Um, and I guess, I mean, if you want to go names, I mean, Michael Myers is kind of funny at this point because obviously the Michael Myers of Austin Powers fame also sort of having the same name. But I mean, in terms of really, just, I, I don't know. There's actually a film called uh, Behind the Mask: uh, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, and Leslie Vernon is such a lousy name uh, for a slasher, but that film is so excellent. And I mean, obviously, like there's a play on it, it's, it's a satirical sort of film. It, it's a play on the genre. And Leslie Vernon, obviously, is I think su- not supposed to be a very intimidating name. Uh, and I don't know. So I've always been kind of fond of that one, I guess. Mm. Leslie Vernon. <clears throat> I enjoy Jacob Goodnight because I enjoy a good. Oh, that's like one of the worst good. ones of all time. But I'm see, sorry, I, Jacob I, Goodnight I, is so on the nose. It's garbage. I'm sorry. That's that's hashtag horror silly to me, which I appreciate. All right, yeah, I'm you're right. Requ- you're right. Continue with your Shocktober because we are we are hitting the half hour mark in just a few minutes, and there is still very little wrestling that we have talked about. Which, all right, which, so- which is why I like the DDT name because we can stretch off into all sorts of areas. But I'm now going to be quiet because I'm getting us off on tangents. Continue. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, just to be real quick about it, like I said, that was really the only film that was relevant to our, our neighborhood here. So, uh, the other films I've watched so far are uh, Housebound, a New Zealand uh, horror comedy, very subtle with the comedy. I really appreciated that film. A lot of times horror comedies are way over the top, and that one, again, was more subtle. Uh, I watched Wreck 2, that's a Spanish film. Um, that was excellent. If you've ever... Uh, Interesting. If you've ever seen, I don't know if you've seen Wreck. Wreck Two is a little harder to get a hold of. Wreck Three and Four are actually on Netflix streaming, but Wreck Two has been very difficult to find. I actually managed to get a copy off of uh, the DVD service on Netflix. So uh, if you do get a chance to watch those that series of films and you don't mind subtitles, because again it's a Spanish film, uh, those are excellent. Uh, at least the first two. Uh, Dark Was the Night was the next film. Drag Me to Hell, Sam Raimi was the one after that. Drag Me to Hell was one of those films I was talking about that I wanted to get back to. I never saw it when it came out in 2009. Oh my god, six years ago. A movie I'm destined to love. The guy who directed and wrote and conceived of The Evil Dead, my favorite horror movie series of all time. Oh my god, he has another film about demonic possession? How could I not have seen this? And to be honest with you, I wasn't that enthralled with it after watching it. And we can argue about that on Twitter all day long if you want to. 
B-Movie Geek, Doc Manson. Not a big fan of Drag Me to Hell. Um, then I watched a throwback to the 80s called The Boogins, and frankly, The Boogins is just really fun to say. Boogins, 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 Boogins. And then last night, I watched the recent indie horror film, It Follows, which is probably the best pure horror film. You want to talk about a film that's actually sort of disturbing, unsettling? Uh, I thought that film was was phenomenal. Uh, that movie came out this year, 2015. Like I said, it's a recent release. Um, that film, I'm still trying to work on a review now because I feel like I can't really do it justice. That what was film the name was, again? What was the name it again? It Follows. The name of the film was It Follows. And it was... I mean, I, I don't even really want to say anything about it because that's my problem trying to write up a review. Like, I don't want to say anything about it because it tells its story very well. And I just feel I don't, like, really want to give anything away. But, I mean, so, I mean, just to kind of put some pieces together here, it's it's kind of the story about this monster that follows its victim. Um, it follows, literally. And it follows you, and it literally... It, it walks after you. It is always walking after you. So you can outrun it. You can get in a car. You can drive away. You can get on an airplane. But it's always just going to walk towards you in a straight line. And it's relentless. It doesn't think. You can't reason with it. And it's just, no matter where you are, it knows where you are. And it is going to eventually catch up with you. And if it catches you, it will kill you. And... It's a, that alone, I think, is a pretty cool premise. It sort of plays off of some of the stuff that you see in other films, like Jason Voorhees. For so long, you know, this is just the guy who walks at you. You you see him just sort of like very slowly shuffling, and somehow, you know, the heroine or whatever always trips, and always the thing always catches up with you. But it's sort of as addressed here as you know, it's an inevitability. Yeah, you can run away from this thing. It's always walking at you. But it will always find you, no matter how much distance you put between you and it. So that, I thought, was kind of cool. And then the other part, the whole other part of the film, it's sort of a parable uh, about, um, I don't know, I guess, unprotected sex or maybe underage or premarital sex. Well, that's the thing. I know you're giving me that look. That's how you get the monster. It's literally passed on to you, almost like an STD. So if you have sex with somebody with whom it is afflicted, it gets passed on to you. And this is how it works. So this thing is coming after you. If you have sex with someone else, it passes on to the next person. But the problem is, if it catches up to that person and it kills them, it immediately reverts back to you. So you actually have to pass it on, and you have to convince the person that you've passed it on to to also pass it on. And it's, it's again, it's I've never really seen anything like it. It's genuinely disturbing on multiple levels. It's unsettling because it deals with, you know, this is sort of a coming-of-age tale. The, the characters in it are, like, 19 years old, and they actually look their age. I know it's rare for these films. The entire film, like, almost the entire film was shot with a widescreen lens. It's a very unique look, but... The whole point of that is you're constantly seeing these framed shots with the characters in just one corner of the screen, and you just see, you know, people in the distance walking, and you never know, is this the thing, or is it just a person? I mean, you have no idea, and so it's very... It it works on so many different levels. I I really, again, I can't recommend it enough. There's actually really not too much lousy about it. There's no like real graphic sex. There are there is sex in it, but it's not it's nothing too graphic. And the, there's really actually not much gore or violence. But again, just the entire premise, very original, and that whole parable aspect of it, and the way it plays with some of the expectations of the genre. It follows. Uh, 
you should seek it out if you are even a casual horror fan. I can honestly, again, I can I can see a contingent not liking this film. Again, it's not super gory, it's not very humorous, but oh man, I it really I've liked it a lot. Uh, and with that, thirty two minutes into the podcast, DC Matthews, let's talk about some wrestling. I feel so uncomfortable right now. It's not even funny. The Did whole... I describe that premise to you? Did that make you uncomfortable? Just hearing about it? it? It's the whole, we're going back to the PG podcast thing, and now we're talking about casual relations, and the there's three-letter words being used every five seconds, and... You know, I we were going to have a whole discussion. I, I was going to try to compare it to you know. Well, isn't this just a movie like you know? Isn't this just a, a a metaphor for life? Death always is following you. You can't escape it, no matter where you go. Death comes for us all. But now you're talking about casual. You know, well, I mean, honestly, I think the, and... that conversation you were going to say, uh, I think that's actually very true. It is about the inevitability of life and death. And I think it also sort of wraps into the idea that, you know, um, the three little word that you don't want to say, uh, sex, uh, I think that's uh, that that's that's a thing that... um <laughs> saying it. That, No, but seriously, in terms of life, that's one of the things that makes you forget for a little while that you are mortal love, right? Being in love with another human being. Like, it's sort of... It pushes off that inevitability of death, that feeling, that euphoria of love and whatever sort of physical acts go along with that. Um, so, again, I think this movie works on many different levels if you want to stop and think about it. And I don't know. Like, I, I was impressed. I was very impressed. It follows. Full review, bmoviegeek.com. Uh, eventually. It's not up yet. Doc Manson was impressed by this movie. A lot of people were impressed by Wednesday's NXT TakeOver respect. So, at the 34-minute mark, let's actually transition to the world of wrestling. And if... No, no, I'm not letting you talk. No! No, the the thing I want to say is, I think when you go on Twitter uh, to tell people that the, the show is available, I think you should probably, in good faith tell them that the wrestling start talks the wrestling talk starts at 34 minutes and 30 seconds just so they have fair warning i'll do a little disclaimer at the beginning hey guys skip past the oreo talk skip past the transmitted disease talk apparently skip past the talk about the benefits of paralysis in terms of a horror movie and around the 35 minute mark we might actually talk some wrestling. NXT TakeOver from Full Sail University. For the first time that I can remember, the ladies main evented the show. Sasha Banks Bailey, a 30-minute Iron Woman match. I don't know why you call it an Iron Man match. Come on, let's their women. Let's just call it that. Um, How about, hey, don't be sexist. How about a Iron Person match? Fine. An Iron Person match. An Iron Human Thank you. match. And for those 30 minutes... Many people who watched it forgot that death was coming to them and just enjoyed the show. Um, Doc Manson, in, in as few words as possible, would you kindly share your opinions on the Iron Woman match? Yes. I didn't watch it. You didn't watch it or you haven't watched it because there's a difference between the two. Well, I did not watch it prior to us talking about it right now. I may watch it in the future. Does that help clarify matters? That does help. I I said this on Twitter earlier today. I have lost my... uh, 
wrestling partner for the next month because he's in Shocktober. Obviously, I haven't lost my podcast partner because we went for 35 minutes and probably could have gone longer talking about anything other than wrestling, which may have to happen. I will say that I did watch some of NXT TakeOver. I I made it through uh, Apollo Crews versus Tyler Breeze, so I saw everything before that. I just haven't seen the remainder of the show. All right. So we... So I put it out there to the neighborhood, what they wanted to hear us talk about. Our friend from the UK, at the Lord Jalapeno, uh, did want us to talk about the Iron Woman match. I did see it. I thought it was good. I don't know that I thought it was as good as all of you thought it was. I thought Sasha Banks had some of the best heel work I've ever seen. We talked about heels in great detail last... Why do you have a pen up your nose? We talk about wrestling, and now I lose you? Anyways, I thought the match was good. I thought that uh, Sasha did some great heel work. A lot of people enjoyed our heel discussion, Doc. I'll have you know. Um, I thought Bailey uh, Mrs. had... Mrs. Manson a... among them. Good. I'm glad to hear it. A lot of people did like it, so I think we should try... We, we seem to discuss wrestling in a different way than a lot of people do it. We talk about the the psychology of it, perhaps, or the rationality behind it. Um, I thought Bailey looked a little more confident at the beginning of that match. She had a little bit of swagger, which I think is something that is sorely missed from her usual personality. So I did enjoy the match. I didn't think it was the be-all, end-all, but it was very, very good. Bailey has retained. Uh, I believe afterwards, I don't think this was on the show, um, the NXT roster came out, they gave flowers to both divas, women, whatever, excuse me. They gave flowers to both women, um, and I believe they made some mention of the fact that this is probably the last time you'll see Sasha Banks in NXT. She has graduated to the main roster full-time, for what that's worth, considering she's not doing a whole lot on the main roster. I don't know whether that was for good or bad, but... Um, your thoughts on Bailey as champion? Just, you know, now that Sasha's yeah. out of the picture, uh, at Che McCarthy, at Che1717, wanted us to talk about the future of the NXT women's division because Sasha's gone, Charlotte's gone, Becky's gone, it's Bailey and friends. What do you think? Um, Bailey is a very talented professional wrestler. I enjoy watching her. She has a unique gimmick that is refreshing. Um, Too often, I think, the women are one note in that they are simply lousy to each other, and that's just their whole character. Um, So I like that there's something different about Bailey, and we've talked about this before. And I have to admit, I haven't seen really any of her work since she won the title, because I haven't been watching NXT on a weekly basis. The uh, Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Championship Tournament sort of turned me off of watching the weekly installments since the last takeover. So, I haven't seen too much of her as champion, but I did have some reservations as to whether or not her character was well adapted to that role. She always sort of seems like that you know, little sister sort of mid-card, maybe more um, character than she is a leader of a division. But um, maybe you can tell me, how has she grown into that role? Has, does she seem like she's adapting? Does it seem like she's tweaking the character to uh, be a leader of a division? Well, you haven't watched a lot of NXT, so here's what you missed from Bailey. <clears throat> you all right over there? Oh, I'm good. I'm just dying. That's that's good audio. All right, here's what you missed. Oh, we're going we're gonna to cl- cut that out right now. 
I don't know if I can, but I'm going to write it down. <laughs> All right. Here's what you missed uh, from Bailey. Nothing. For about the first two or three weeks, she did not show up on weekly NXT because those were the shows they taped prior to her winning the title or just after. Um, which, and I know Vincent out there at Vincent Adams one one seven wants us to be positive. He's worried we're falling down that negative uh, place. And just so you know, that's totally your fault because I was super positive before you sucked. I just want to say wormhole. I just want to say that I am not falling down any sort of hole of negativity. I was born there, I was bred in it, and I am pure negativity through and through to the very core of my being. Um, So I'm not some sort of new school negative. I am old school, hardcore negative. Okay, sir, you can't breed this out of me. It is the essence of me. You thought you came down to evil. I was born in it, raised in it. That's my Bane impression, folks. You thought Jason Malkoff... You sound more like, uh... Sean Connery? sound more like... I I think it turned into Sean Connery. (laughs) Yes, it did. I think it turned into Sean Connery there. So, James Bond as Bane. Yeah. Will I please what? Nothing. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um... I don't even remember what we were talking about. We were talking about positivity, and I will try to be positive here. Um, I don't like the fact that NXT pre-tapes. I don't like the fact that the champion wins the title and then is off of TV for a few weeks. I think that's uh, it doesn't speak well to the product in and of itself. Having said that, that's a separate conversation. Having said that, since Bailey's won the title, and especially at TakeOver when she came out in her Iron Man-themed outfit. She had a red and yellow Iron Man themed outfit, which I thought was clever. Um, She did have a little bit of a swagger. She had a little bit of the, I'm no longer, you know, when she came out with the flailing, waving, inflatable tube men, she would be like, oh my god, this is great, can you believe it? She walked out, she had a cape on, I don't know why, and instead of looking around in wonder, she stood in the middle of the ramp and just put her arms up and the inflatable tube men went with her. And I thought that was cool. That was not the usual Bailey that you see. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, we're both kind of congested here. Having said that, I don't know that Bailey is the leader of a women's division. You had Charlotte, she could lead the division, and you could have bit pieces around her of which Bailey was one. I don't know that Bailey's that person. I don't think she's had an opportunity yet to be that person, so the jury's still out. I'm not saying she can't be. I'm saying I don't know if she can be, and I'm interested in seeing that. I don't want her to be the underdog. She can't just be that character over and over and over and over and over again. She needs to evolve. She needs to be something more. She needs to have a little bit of that swagger, or even more than a little bit of that swagger, in order for her to make the next step which is to be a, I won't even say dominant, to be a compelling champion who has main roster potential. Now, you haven't seen the match. If you do see the match, maybe by next week you can share your thoughts. A lot of people loved it. Don't get me wrong. Psychology was great. Sasha Banks did some of the best things. You know, her going out into the crowd and making fun of Bailey's biggest fan, getting this 11-year-old girl to sob, to just sob tears, was excellent. So, I enjoyed it. I wasn't in love with it, but I'm probably not the person you should come to to talk about women's wrestling. So, I would like to talk a little bit about women's wrestling, though, because one of the things I did see on that card, I didn't see Sasha versus Bailey, but I did see 
Dana Brooke versus Asuka? Is that how you pronounce it? They're pronouncing it Asuka. It looks like it should say Asuka, but they're pronouncing it Asuka. Asuka. What'd you think? What'd you think of Asuka? Asuka... Watching her in the ring, the only words that I can think to describe her is a whirling dervish. She has a very frenetic energy and pace, and she's all over the place. And, oh my god, I'm in love. Mrs. Manson, don't listen. Don't listen. (laughs) I am in love. My god, this woman is talented. And that look that she just gives at the end of the match, like that, she just, she knows that she is the dominant force in that division. I mean, there's a little bit of sexiness to it, but it goes past the sexiness. It goes past that appeal. And it, it, there really is like this, this, this look of I am in charge. The look that she gave Emma at the end of that exchange, oh my God, I could feel the energy. And I, I don't know, man. I am real excited to see where this goes. Um, I, I now she is, I presume, from Japan. I don't know what company she was with. Uh, what was the name? I think Kana previously. Yes. Um, and like I look when we've brought people over from Japan previously, some of the men's singles wrestlers today. With Tommy, I'm looking at you. They've had difficulty transitioning to the American style. Now, don't get me wrong, the promo that she cut on NXT, uh, obviously there's a bit of a language barrier, but when she got in the ring and she it was time to go with Dana Brooke, my God, that match was amazing. She had no problems with the style. And I, she, 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 Dana Brooke, that's her name? Dana Brooke or Burke? Brooke? Brooke. Brooke. Dana Brooke had a good match against Asuka. Uh, I, I don't I don't know if, if that if that's Dana Brooke also improving. I know people like to hate on her, but there was so much there was so much in that match back and forth. Um, the arm I don't know if it's really an arm bar, but you know the arm behind and them twisting and falling together, cartwheeling, Asuka keeping Dana in the hold through uh, through the attempted reversal like it there was so much in that match that was just refreshing and new and high energy. I, you haven't said anything yet. I don't know if you're just going to poop all over everything I just said. But man, man, I am impressed by Asuka. I've been watching NXT since I got WWE Network. So I've seen the debuts of Finn Balor, Hideo Itami, Samoa Joe, yes. Kevin Owens, Apollo Crews. This was the best in-ring debut that I have ever seen in NXT. She blew all of them out of the water. And I will say this to you, my friend. Watching that match, I would not let her touch a microphone again. She did not need it. She told me more in the facial expressions, in the mocking of the Dana Brooke pose, in the smile. I am, I won't go as far as to you, (laughs) But I am, to quote a line from the West Wing, I am ensorcelled. I don't know if that's a real word, but she, she is the person who could bring me around and into women's wrestling. Because I watched that match twice because it was that good. I loved, 
in the 90s, Alundra Blaze was the women's champion. There wasn't a whole lot of competition at that point around her. So they went to Japan and they brought in Bull Nakano. She had hair that was spiked really high. She had face paint. She was this stiff Japanese wrestler. She reminds me a little of that. She reminds me a little of Aja Kong, another similar style wrestler. But she also has the Dean Malenko, the Chris Benoit, the Kurt Angle submission style. Because you're right, she had her in the hammerlock. Dana Brooke tried to roll out of it, and she just went with him. It was, to me, that was one of the high points of that show. Was that and let's match. just talk about how Bob Backlund has got to be completely stoked that she's finishing people off with a cross-faced chicken wing and a body scissors. Come on. the Was that the Oscar lock? Or? The Oscar lock. She could have called it whatever she wanted. She could have called it filet of fish and I would have bought the t-shirt if she had one because that was super, super good. Dana Brooke did fine. A lot of people were like, wow, she did great. You know, you know. And no, she, I mean, don't get me wrong. She was led into a oh, good absolutely. match. Oh, absolutely. You want to talk about, you know, um, Kevin Owens leading Ryback into a good match. I mean, this is, I think, that to a hundredth degree here, but Dana Brooke looked fine in that match, thanks to Asuka. Dana Brooke, I've been arguing with Tyler at MoTWWE about this. Dana Brooke obviously has some gymnastic skills. Good for her. Dana Brooke plays the conceited heel fairly well. It's one note, but she does it. Good for her. Yeah, I mean she's got a she's got a developed character. I don't think she. I think the problem is actually that she doesn't play it very well. When every time she talks or she does that patting on the head thing, she looks like a high school actress. Like there's that level of quality to her interactions that I'm just not buying it. Um, but anyways, mm-hmm. as you were saying, so. When I talk about the future, as at Che1717 asked us to do, if I talk about the future of women's wrestling in NXT, I believe the name Asuka stands for future. I think that's what they said on the show. She's it. And we've got another debut coming up next week. They announced it on the show. Uh, What's her name? Nia Jax. Yes. Supposedly she's coming next week. So I feel bad for Bailey a little bit because... I like Bailey. She's fine. But she is not Asuka. I'll reserve judgment on Nia Jax until I see her. But Bailey is in very real danger of being completely forgotten about if these yeah. women are as good as advertised. And right now, I'm sorry, Charlotte. I used to say you were the best female wrestler I've ever seen. I don't know if I can say that anymore after watching Asuka. We we talked about Dana Brooke being able to be led into a match. You mentioned Ryback. Great comparison. There's a wrestler on NXT. He used to be hashtag tall and terrible. But in the last few weeks, he's moved up, in my opinion, to hashtag tall and tolerable. And that would be Baron Corbin, who you must have seen that match. Baron Corbin and Rhino versus Jason Jordan and Chad Gable. There's going to be a rant that probably starts really soon for me. That's what people have been asking for. I'm going to get myself psyched up for that. If you want to chat about Jordan and Gable, Corbin and Rhino, the Dusty Classic a little bit, I'll chime in once the rage starts. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty good matchup overall. And tall and uh, tolerable there, as you're calling them now, I guess was okay. Um, you now, the thing I think that really bothers me about Baron Corbin is if you look at him, his face is the face of a baby. 
Like, he has the face of a six-year-old child. I'm sorry, not six-year-old. Six-month-old child. But he just happens to have that chin strap framing the bottom of his face. Uh, that facial hair that looks freaking ridiculous. But his actual face, he looks like an infant. And I can't just, I can't see past it anymore. Um... And, you know, the other thing that really creeps me out about him is he has no definition to his body. And I know, like, this is going to sound strange. I'm not in the best shape of anybody in the room, no matter where I am at any given time. Kevin Owens, you know, say what you will about him. But Baron Corbin has this weird sort of crease in his stomach that sometimes it it's just the creepiest looking thing. It just, I don't know, it just makes me uncomfortable. Something about that physique is just not, not pleasant at all. It's creeping me out, man. Also, Rhino is wrestling with a shirt on, and you can sort of tell why. You look like around the arms and like sticking out of like the side there. The war machine has become the chub machine. Again, I'm not throwing I'm like I'm not the I'm not the best shape of anybody in any room ever. I understand that. But Rhino, you've been back in NXT for a while, man. Hit the gym, man. Even Sting got into wrestling without the shirt on in shape again. Like, come on, man. You can do this. You can do this. Do you think Corbin had gastric bypass surgery and that's what... Is that the scar? I have no... I don't even know what the scar he used to be. Because he used to be a more rotund fellow. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's a scar or what, but sometimes he bends and there's just this crease and it, I do find it unsettling. Dusty Rhodes was a great man. He was part of a tag team, once upon a time, the Texas Outlaws with Dirty Dick Murdoch. When he died, they decided to honor him with the first annual Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. I have no problem with that. But the operant word there, or two words, I should say, is tag team. Two wrestlers that work together as one. Not two guys you pair up in order to tell a singles story. Now I knew when this started that the reason they were going to have it was because they don't have a very good singles division. Sami Zayn's injured. Hideo Tommy's injured. Kevin Owens is up in WWE. I got that. I was okay with it. This was the time to focus on the tag team division. Enzo and Cass, the Vaudevillains, Bamf, Jordan and Gable, the Mechanics. You have quality tag teams. So why, for the love of all that is holy, why would you only use it to tell your single stories and not to mention tell your single stories to tell them badly? You didn't have the supposed Finn Balor, Samoa Joe breakup that everyone was expecting. You didn't even turn it into a possible takeover main event or anything. I don't know if you read all of the spoilers. I tried to avoid them. There's a new number one contender, and it's not anyone in those matches. Samoa Joe's not it. Baron Corbin's not it. Rhino's not it. Which means that for the Dusty Road Classic, what did we do? Nothing. We just wasted everyone's time. Yeah, we have some good tag teams, and yeah, they put on good matches, but they jobbed. We wanted Finn Balor and Samoa Joe not to have an actual, you know, title match where something's on the line and it means something. Let's just have them win a random tag team match, and then they can hold the cup. Yay, we won. We're the greatest tag team in NXT, except we're not a tag team. Your thoughts? 
Um, I think my thoughts are best summed up with, hey man, it's tag team wrestling. Who the hell cares? I care. A yeah. lot of people care. No, they don't. It's just you. No, I don't think that's true. I think you could have had, this could have been the moment, and I'm biased against Jordan and Gable. They're my, I next to New Day, they're my favorite tag team going in wrestling right now is Jason Jordan and you're, Chad Gable. Oh, okay. So you're, you're biased in favor of them. I am biased in favor of them. I have predicted, hashtag prediction, DC. Should. Oh, hey, did you catch, did you catch the crowd uh, singing Gable's name to him with Kurt Angle's theme music? Yes, I Gable. thought that was very. That was Gable. cute. Yes. That was that was awesome. I appreciated it. Which and you're and you're making my point for me. These two guys both got chance. They're both super over with the crowd. This could have been a chance to crown two bona fide mega stars in NXT, and it happened anyways. But you didn't do it. I didn't like that. I thought, if you're going to have a tag team tournament, at least focus on tag team wrestling. And maybe you're right. Maybe a whole lot of people don't care so much about tag team wrestling. I mean, clearly the management in NXT don't care about it. You make a valid point. But you know how you make people care? You know how you make fans care? You take an actual tag team, two wrestlers that actually spend their time together, and you let them shine. And they didn't do it. I thought this was a complete missed opportunity. Good for Finn Balor and Samoa Joe, but they would have been stars anyways. They could have just had a fatal four-way match. They could have wrestled. You know, we could have seen Finn Balor versus Rhino or Finn Balor versus Baron Corbin, and it would have been fine. And you could have let the tag team wrestlers shine, but they didn't. And I take issue with that. Um, Who's the tag champs right now? The Villains, who lost in the tournament. They lost in the tournament. Enzo and Cass lost in, yes, but they lost in the tournament to, I want to say, Jordan and Gable. But it could have been the mechanics. Scott Dawson and Dash Wilder also did great. Old school wrestling, working on the leg of Finn Balor in that opening match. I loved every second they of that, too. They were excellent. I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not one who usually likes much tag team wrestling. I find the pace of the matches to be too rote, you know? It's always beat one guy up, make the hot tag. It... it, it there's there's no there's like zero variety in modern tag team wrestling, which is part of the reason why I'm against it. They used to do more innovative stuff back in the day, I think, and now every single match just has the exact same flow to it, which is I think what bothers me. But regardless, that opening match, uh, the mechanics, I don't know their names. Uh, Scott again. Dawson and Dash Wilder. I thought that was a fantastic match. Both of the um, both of the matches were, and I see your point. Tag team wrestling can be incredibly formulaic, but a lot of that's because when you watch it on Raw, you have two or three wrestlers paired together just in order to tell two or three stories. They're not actual a tag team. You can tell the difference between a real tag team and not a real tag team by watching them in the ring together. Uh, Dawson and Wilder, Jordan and Gable, both excellent tag teams. Yeah. Um. I think Gable is very good. I think he's got a potential future. Um, he's not very charismatic in terms of speaking, but and I know that's held a lot of people back, but man, he is so good mm-hmm. in the ring. The I think <sighs> they call it the Okada roll, the, the whatever the back roll he did into the deadlift German suplex was phenomenal. That was yeah. so good. 
Um, I think he is, you know, I think he's got the, he's obviously watched every heel Kurt Angle, the goofy heel Kurt Angle promo. Yes. Which, yes. As a as a fan of Wrestle Silly, I don't mind, and I doubt you do either. But that's no, obviously the, 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 what he's doing. The gimmick when he lifts up the thing, and he, and the, I don't know if you're still doing it. They were doing it before, where he kept trying to get Jason Jordan to say yes. uh, Ready, Willing, Gable, trying to get him to say his name. Um, yeah, man, that just screams. That just screams Attitude Era, Kurt Angle, uh, the comedy stuff, and I love. That's my favorite Kurt Angle. So they can keep doing that all day long well, and, with Mr. And, Gable. And his and his his lack of skill, I think, on the mic is very comparable to that era Kurt Angle as well. And it they can set him up such that that delivery works for him. And they have so far. Yes. So, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I'm confident. I'm, I, I I'm think hopeful. You should at some point. It'll probably have to be November once your Shocktober is over. But at some point... Breeze through. There's going to be a segue with that. Watch it. Breeze through NXT that you've missed because Jordan and Gable have been great together. Speaking of breezing through, the and last. Speaking m- of people whose careers are over. Well, this is going to transition into another thing I want to talk about. Uh, Tyler Breeze versus Apollo Cruz. Apollo Cruz won. I understand why. I wasn't happy about it. But I've come to terms with the fact that for whatever reason, Tyler Breeze is not cutting it in NXT. I don't know if he's irritated people. I don't know if they think his character's so strong he can afford to lose. I don't get what's happening with Tyler Breeze, but he's... I get it. What is it? He's enhancement talent. Every company needs enhancement talent. You need a guy who's good. Who does a lot of times? These guys have strong character gimmicks, and they can make other people look good. They can make other people look credible because they have a rapport to some level with the audience. And you know what? Tyler Breeze has that. He's good. He's over with the NXT crowd. They like him. He know he's they know he's capable. But realistically, what are you going to do with Tyler Breeze? You bring him up to Raw, and that guy is—he's Adam Rose. He's an entrance. And then he's a guy who kind of looks like Dolph Ziggler, though Dolph Ziggler's hair isn't that color anymore, which I thought maybe was a was a sign that they were getting ready to move Tyler Breeze up because he can only have one platinum blonde dude on the roster at a time. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of feel like he gets lost in the shuffle because, again, he's just an entrance. He's just Adam Rose. He's just Fandango. Maybe he'll have a good six months or something. But, I mean, he could stay in NXT and have a fulfilling career because again we've talked about this a little before NXT is a developmental place and it's in some rough shape right now in their singles division but I mean this is a company that they've got touring like this is a company that's I think destined for more than simply being their development company it could be that also but if it was just development they wouldn't have put it on the road there's there is a desire there. I don't know if it's going to happen this year or the next five years or what, but I think there's a long term plan to make NXT much more than it is. And I don't know. I don't think there's anything wrong with Tyler Breeze um, making his name there. I will say this: I am glad they didn't rush him up to WWE because of the entrance. It didn't work for Adam Rose. I don't know that Fandango was an NXT guy. I think he might have been a little before that. But well, I wasn't saying it was NXT. I was just saying he's 
All no, there is to him but, is an but, entrance. But I think there is more to it, and maybe that's the whole idea. Maybe they're trying to give us a different side. Maybe we're going to see a more frustrated, more angry Tyler Breeze, who's less about the selfie stick and more about the wrestling and the victories. And if that's the case, I'll be happy with it, and we'll give NXT credit for doing that. However, right now, if I had to buy or sell on Tyler Breeze... As much as I hate to say it right now, I probably have to sell. I've been thinking a lot about that concept over the last couple of weeks. This idea of, you know, has the ship sailed for some of these wrestling talents in terms of being credible, bona fide main event players in either WWE or NXT? Tyler Breeze is one of them. And a lot of sports shows do a buy or sell type thing. If you buy, you're into him. You still think there's a chance. If you sell, you don't. You think he's he's over the top. So... Do you buy or sell Tyler Breeze in terms of having a successful WWE career, however you choose to define it? In the interest of obstructing your question and being as difficult as possible, I will follow through with the analogy, however. I'm going to say that Tyler Breeze is a guy for whom I bought a long time ago. I bought stock in Tyler Breeze a long time ago. And so the question right now to me is not, do I buy or sell Tyler Breeze? It's, do I hold on to that stock? Am I, is this a long-term investment? Or do I think that he's only going to drop, so i got to cash out now, i got to sell? And I think, honestly, for me, I'm going to hold on to that stock. I already invested my money. Uh, I don't think he's got a bright future in the immediate uh, vicinity, immediate timeline. But I do think if I hold on to that stock long enough, it might see some return on my investment. So, sticking with the analogy, but you know, not exactly answering it the way you asked me. Nope, that's fine. I, I honestly think that's that's the way I would have to go. I, I have long since given up on getting a straight answer from you on a question that I've asked. Um, I think. In terms of him being, and I don't know if I ever really considered him a main event level guy. I don't think he's ever going to be NXT champion. I don't think there was ever a chance of him being WWE champion. I do think you can see him being a four or five. He could be a Dolph Ziggler, and you could argue whether or not that's a good thing or not. But I'm souring on him just based on the way he's being used. And again, maybe there's going to be a new side of Tyler Breeze that'll get me bought back in. So you're uh, saying you're going to sell? Uh, yeah. Right now I'm going to sell. But I maybe I'm being impulsive, but right now if I could, I would sell. Which brings us to Raw, because watching Raw, there were a lot of other people that I saw that I wondered about buying or selling. For example, the man that Gravity doesn't remember all the time, Neville, lost to Sheamus in about two and a half minutes. It was a squash, plain and simple. So I ask you, Doc Manson... Neville, buy or sell? Um, I mean, in terms of ever doing anything really important, sell. Uh, sell. Neville is a fantastic talent. He's going to put on some great matches for a long time. He's, I think he's a solid mid-card champion. He's going to be that guy... Uh, who has you know those cruiserweight type matches? I won't ever. I won't even say that he's necessarily like that guy that you have to overcome because honestly, his stature 
that you know that having that smaller sort of stature, I don't know that he has the physical presence to be sort of one of those guys that oh man he beat Neville, but I mean he's a solid performer who I, I don't think is ever going to be champion. So I mean WWE heavyweight champion. So I guess I got to sell because what else has he got to do? Where is he going to go? I mean, I know he's the man that gravity forgot, so you would think up is the only way he could go, but I'm just not so sure. I think he's actually pretty much tethered to the ground. This is as high as he's going. I'm inclined to agree with you. The only reason I pause or hesitate is whether, you know, when he was about to come up, we heard that he was going to get this Mighty Mouse gimmick, and we assumed that was going to be a mask, a cape, some sort of actual superhero thing, and they weren't wrong. He's got the cape, at least. He doesn't have a mask, and I'm glad for that, but he does have that very much the underdog thing, and I always, you can you can never lose, you can never discount the underdog to have one of those WrestleMania moments like Daniel Bryan did two years ago where he overcomes all the odds and wins. That's always going to be a trope in professional wrestling is the underdog overcoming the odds. So I'm, I don't know that I can sell, but I also don't know that I'd, I, you know, I might... Again, I bought into him. I'll probably have the same answer you did for Tyler Breeze. I had bought into Neville at one point. I'm holding on to my stock... But I'm keeping my eye on the market, too. One thing I will say about Neville, that the, he has potential as a heel. His run with his feud against Sami Zayn in NXT as champion was actually really good, and he played that part really well. I don't know that there are the that the management is in place to allow that to happen on the main roster for Neville, mm-hmm. but I could actually see him being that kind of heel uh in WWE, I don't know if they're interested in doing that because, again, the physical sorts of matches he puts on are destined to be crowd favorites, but he is very capable of playing that role, and if they were willing to give him that shot on the main roster, I think that's the only way I see him going beyond uh, where he currently is. Our World Heavyweight Champion right now is a heel in some sense, and he's got those crowd-pleasing matches, too. I've noticed something interesting. This was the second week in a row that we saw Neville and Bad News Barrett in the same ring, and there was a little bit of hesitation, and maybe I'm just hoping too much. Maybe I'm being that irrational idealist here, but I was really hoping... I'm hoping we see a Barrett and Neville team up in some sense. I think they would make an interesting alliance. They've got the UK ties. They've got the power and the speed, which is always makes for a good tag team. You know, Sheamus was done the bro kick and Barrett was there looking a little like, what are you doing here? So I'm hopeful. All right. Um, something I'm, I'm still hopeful for, but much less so, is the Bulgarian brute Rusev. Um, his only job on Raw that I can remember uh, is he got proposed to by one Summer Ray. Um, she asked Ruru to marry her, and I, I do hope that he changes his name formally to Ruru. I think there's some there's a market there. Um, Rusev, buy or sell? Dude is a great performer. Since day one, I've said he's been saddled with a poor gimmick that will never allow him 
to truly succeed. I've, I don't think I have ever seen in the modern era somebody get repackaged and recover from that type of character. Sell. So, the time of Rusev has passed. You're right in the repackaging. Muhammad Hassan just left. Now that was a little different era. That was closer to the 9-11, and you know, we had to be a little careful with certain stereotypes there. But I'm going to buy. And the reason I'm going to buy is what you said. He is supremely talented, and unlike Neville, he's got the size. If you've got size and you've got talent, you have a shot in WWE. And I don't know what's going to happen when Lana comes back. I still think he has a, you know, he's he's as low as he can get. Maybe I'm buying low here. You know, he got proposed to by Summer Rae. His stock is, you know, as low as it can probably get right now, besides maybe him throwing a fish at somebody again. I'm going to buy low <laughs> and hope he rebounds, and I'm willing to take that risk. If he is a bust and is in Lucha Underground in two years, I'll accept the fact that I, I made a mistake in buying low, but I've still got faith in in Ruru. Me and Ruru are tight. Yeah, I mean, I would like to see him succeed. I really would. Dude is talented. I think he's got a lot of potential. Uh, he's got that look. He's a big guy. He's strong. He's uh, agile. He could be a mainstay on the top of that roster, mm-hmm. but he can't do it with that gimmick. He just cannot. I agree. I agree. I agree. So hold on a second. We were just talking about the last one here. This is one I want to ask you about. And, you know, I think that it was... You know, the Neville Sheamus match was a bit of a squash because you've got this guy, Sheamus. He's still our money in the bank briefcase holder. I think it's probably about time that you start building him up as a credible threat to the champion because at some point he's going to need to cash that thing in. And as it is right now, I don't think he's a very credible threat. Um, I don't know exactly how you get him in that spot, but that's not my job. I'm not creative at WWE. But. Here's a guy, Sheamus, who came out. He was strong heel. He languished for a long time as a do-nothing, personality-less face. He went away. He's been injury-prone. He comes back. He's got this new irritating look, his bad attitude. He's back to being a heel because, again, the face thing just wasn't working out, I guess. And, and again, the guy's injury-prone. He's not that interesting. He's got no personality. He's got the bunny, the briefcase, and it's basically like, why does this guy have this opportunity? When he won that, I think I don't think I'm alone in thinking that. What what was the thought process? I'm putting that briefcase on Sheamus, and again, again, maybe my bias is now showing, and I shouldn't be leading the witness before asking you the question. But Sheamus has his time passed, or is he still viable? in the eyes of Mr. D.C. Matthews. I think I said this maybe last week or the week before. Seamus is the, in case of emergency, break glass option. And I think a lot of times, you know, your, your money in the bank briefcase is either the young guy who needs that boost kind of thing. The Seth Rollins won money in the bank and it catapulted him into the main event picture. Absolutely. Or... It's the, in case something goes wrong, here's a guy who we can give the title to for a month or two, and we won't, the world won't collapse around us. The thing that I don't understand is, why do you, why is Seamus that option? When you've got guys, I mean, is 
I don't know how everybody's going to be happy with this, but when you've got guys like Roman Reigns or Dean Ambrose out there who also, if there was an emergency and you had to put the title on either of those guys for a month or two, the world would not end. It would be fine. And these are up-and-coming guys with potential left in the audience. I don't think Sheamus has any potential. You just said it right there, though. They're up-and-coming guys. Sheamus maybe doesn't have a whole lot of potential, but he is an established guy who has, at least at some point in the brand extension era, held the world title before. I I also just want to clarify. I'm sorry. I just want to clarify. I like Sheamus. Um, His initial work as a heel I thought was refreshing. I liked him in that role. I don't like his current heel gimmick, um, but I thought his initial heel thing actually worked very well. I would like to see him try to go back mm-hmm. to that sort of character. Just a, just a, you know, a, a brawler, an ass kicker. I don't know what you want to call it, but he looked like a serious threat. He was a big built dude. He's lost some of that mass after his injuries, uh, but I don't know. I bought that from him. I don't know if other people didn't or what, but I bought that character from him, and I'd like to see a return to form on that. I have no problem with that. You know, I'm trying to come up with a comparable in my head. Randy Orton is almost too successful. But if Randy Orton ever won the money in the bank briefcase, he would probably be that kind of, you know, last minute in case of emergency. You know, Adolph Ziggler, who, again, his stock has fallen drastically. But, again, another former world champion, maybe somebody that if you needed to, you could have him main event for one or two months until you got another plan in place. Um you asked me the question, has Sheamus's time passed as a long-term main event guy? Yes, I think we can safely establish that. Could he hold the title for two months until John Cena took it from him? Sure. Could he be a guy to hold it until Roman Reigns or a Dean Ambrose or a Bray Wyatt came up and took it from him? Sure. Not as great of a story, but you could do it. Sheamus is a serviceable plan B. And that's the only reason why I think he's holding the money in the bank briefcase right now, is he's the plan B. The main event, guys, if you, and I know you had some trouble with Raw, it didn't tape, you have DVR woes, I get that. Um, But the main event talents, according to the traditional way of watching wrestling, the final guys in the final part of the show are your main eventers. The main event heels in wrestling right now are Xavier Woods, Kofi Kingston, and Big E Langston. Big E answered the challenge. I thought it was amazing. The promo coming down the ramp, if you haven't seen it, go watch it, uh, was great. Big E went from being the jokey, silly guy to, just in case you forget, I'm a former NXT champion who's huge and is a serious threat to anybody at any given time. John Cena did a good job looking understandably intimidated by that. The match itself was good. So I ask you, as a group, are the New Day main event guys? Could Would you buy or sell them in some capacity becoming world champion contenders in some form or fashion? All of those guys are very talented and any one of them could potentially have a successful singles career. Now that said, Kofi Kingston has failed time and time again as a singles wrestler to really establish any sort of traction. I would say Big E is sort of the same way. 
Xavier Woods is more of an unknown quantity. He hasn't really had that opportunity. Maybe it's possible. Certainly, United, as a group, the New Day, is a force perhaps to be reckoned with. And, I mean, I take some umbrage with you calling them the top heels on the roster, but I do understand your reasoning in terms of the time slot that they got. Absolutely. Um, But, I mean, part of that is, realistically, the time slot was given to John Cena. They just happened to be his opponents this week. Um, And then the only other thing I'm going to say is, I get, when I think about, when you ask me that question, is New Day a top heel on this roster? I mean, I don't want to say no. I, I, I think they have established themselves as that. But somehow in the back of my mind, this is not a favorable comparison. But the thing that comes up immediately when I really start thinking about the way that they're acting as heels, obviously this was not as over with the crowd. It was not as well received. But I can't shake the feeling that the New Day is the Spirit Squad 2.0. I don't know that we've disagreed more on anything on this podcast than what you just said right there. I tweeted out earlier, and I'll let you defend yourself. I tweeted out earlier, sometime this week, that New Day is the PG version of Degeneration X. And I just had a better comparison. They're Edge and Christian. They're a three-man Edge and Christian. Edge and Christian had kazoos. Xavier Woods has the trombone. Edge and Christian had the five-second pose. New Day has all of these gifs, gifs, whatever you pronounce it, the GIFs of them doing the little booty dance. It's the natural progression of the five-second pose is the six-second vine or whatever you want to call it. But tell me why you feel they're the spirit squad, because now I'm, I, I have to know. I think it's part of the energy that they portray. They're these you know, slimy, cowardly heels doing all this real fake smile, jokey, over-the-top, energetic, athletic stuff. And I mean, just in terms of a physical presence, come on, you can't tell me you don't see Xavier Woods with that big fake grin on his face, and you don't see one, what was that, Dolph Ziggler? I forget what his name was, Mikey or something? He was Nicky, Nick Nemeth, he was Nicky. All right, but I mean, you can't tell me that you can't, in your mind, start to see those two images start to blur over and superimpose one another. Come on, the 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 glitz, the glam. I feel like both of these those both of these teams, you could cover them in glitter, and it would just be completely appropriate to the types of characters that they're trying to portray. I don't know. Like I say, it's it's just a thing in the back of my mind that I can't help but shake that comparison. It just it just comes to the forefront. I I can understand what you're saying. The, your your reasoning does make sense. I also had to make sure that the wrestling dork in me could write down all five members of the Spirit Squad, Kenny, Nikki, Johnny, Mikey, Mitch. Those were the five. Uh, but I, I miss I think, Kenny oh, the most. He was really good. Kenny Dykstra was, was a pretty talented wrestler, I will say that. Um, but one thing I will say is a lot of what you described when you described the Spirit Squad also applies to Edge and Christian. You know, Edge and Christian was a uh, much no, no, okay, more there's talented. a difference. There's there's a difference. Yes, that's that's one of it. Edge and Christian were talented and they were entertaining and uh they were good. Spirit Squad's not. 
in no, terms of but but go ahead no go ahead i know because you really want me to get back to new day here mm-hmm. new day is a as i said a more i don't know if i said it but i do think of them as a more talented spirit squad a spirit squad 2.0 if you will a reworked more successful uh envisioning so i i don't deny you that um but again, I just I have trouble with heels that make me want to like them. They're not really heels. So to call them top heels, I think we had a discussion when we talked about what's a heel and what's not a heel. I said the New Day were not heels. So I don't think this week I can in good faith agree with you that they're the top heels on the roster when they're really not acting like heels at all. I, I don't did know. You wa- did you watch? Did you watch the main event? No, I, I, I did not see the last part of the show. So I didn't they, see that were, promo. Maybe that would come, change my mind. They they come out. And I'm not saying that they were all of a sudden, you know, if I could be serious for a moment, Lance Storm. But Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods are dragging Dolph Ziggler's lifeless body out. Because Dolph Ziggler's music hits to answer the John Cena open challenge. And Dolph Ziggler doesn't come out. And then New Day comes out dragging him behind them because they basically just said, oh, you think this is the guy that's going to answer your open challenge? Well, we took him out because we're going to answer it again. They weren't super serious, but there was a little bit more of an edge to them. Pardon the pun, Edge and Christian. There was a little bit more of an edge to them than we've seen before. Was there any more Christian to them? Well, they are gospel preachers, so maybe the Edge and Baptist... Would that work? Aha. Mm, okay, fair enough. Hashtag Edge and Baptist. The new Buddy Cap show on the Religion Network. Um, I encourage you to go watch that part of Raw. I'm sure you can YouTube it or Hulu it or whatever. I encourage Absolutely. you to go to go watch it because it was it was quite good. Um, Edge and Christian were talented, entertaining, and good. I will not say that Big E, Kofi, and Xavier are as talented as Edge or Christian. Edge and Christian were elite talents, wrestling-wise, mic-wise, all of it. But they are certainly more talented than the Spirit Squad. And I would say entertainment-wise, and I didn't watch a whole lot of Edge and Christian. That may have been during my lost years. But I have to imagine they're on the same level as Edge and Christian in terms of entertainment value. Okay, now here's the thing, though. Again... Maybe this is some bias on my part, you know, talking from the future, looking back on the past. But you look at Edge and Christian, and those are two guys who I feel like separately could go. They could be main event players. And they did go on to be main event players. You asked me about the New Day, and I already answered this in my earlier response. You think about the members of New Day. Kofi Kingston has failed in every singles run he has ever attempted. Uh, Big E Langston also has not had a very successful singles career. The only one of them that actually has potential to break out and then go on to have some sort of fulfilling career, I think, after this, is Xavier Woods. And I only say that because he's untested. But if I just look at what he's doing as part of this group, as over as this group is, do I really think that he has what it takes to be that top heel in a singles capacity? I don't know, but he's going to have to show me more than he's shown me so far. He's good. He is good. But I'm not ready to say that yet, as I would be willing to say it about Edge or Christian. Again, 
hindsight's twenty twenty. So it's hard to really make that comparison. Mm-hmm. But the other two members of New Day, I don't think they've got it. I don't think they can break out and be single stars. You make valid points all the way around, which is why I didn't ask you to pick them all individually. I'm talking about New Day as a unit. Could we see somehow... But if you want to talk about New Day as a unit, as a unit, they are a tag team first. And there's no tag team division. Who cares about the tag team in WWE? Nobody. So with, who are they feuding with? with? What is With the way wrestling logic works, why couldn't New Day try to win... They're trying right now to win the U.S. title as a three-man group. They're trying to win the U.S. title. They're talking about being the first ever three-man United States champion. And I don't necessarily know that they're going to get to the main event level. I don't think we'll ever see New Day as co-world heavyweight champions. But I could believe it a whole lot more than I could a month or two ago. I think we could see them as a unit, not as individuals, but as the combined power of their positive parts be main event talents. I don't I I think You just you just contradicted yourself. You said you could see them doing that with the US title, which is a mid card status, and then you just said I don't know if I could see them doing it in the world heavyweight. And then you just said that you think that they maybe could do it. You got I mean you're going back and forth on it. You, I mean you think that you're being consistent but you're not. You you just said that they're not main event players and that, and that they are. I said How that can they not, be both? I don't think that they're legitimate world heavyweight championship contenders, but I make a distinction between legitimate world heavyweight championship contenders and main event players. Could we see at Fastlane or at TLC, could we see Seth Rollins, if he's the champion, or Kane, if he's the champion, taking on New Day in some sort of weird three-on-one, you know, thing? Yeah. I think they could main event a pay-per-view. I mean, you say yes. You say yes, I say no. I I don't think they're at that level. I think they're solid mid-card heels. I mean, when you think about it, like I said, I don't think they are the main event spot. John Cena got the main event spot. You want to talk about world heavyweight players, I don't see the New Day as being in the same league as Seth Rollins at all. Okay, then that's fine. Then we can we can we can yeah. agree to disagree on that point, which I think actually makes for a better thing. We'll see how it plays out. You might be entirely right. No, you're wrong. Okay, and I, I don't like pumpkin. <laughs> and and I'll say this: there is no tag team division to speak of. So New Day could run into the problem where they're the greatest team in a crappy generation. Yeah. And I, you did, you did sort of convince me to, in one sense, as I, as I was, I said I thought of them as a tag team, and maybe what I need to do is I need to think of them less as a tag team and more as a stable. Yes. Um, and again, as a unit, yes, very successful, very capable. So maybe, maybe I can give some ground on that. But again, when I start thinking about the parts and the potential for the parts to separately be successful. I have more difficulty envisioning that. So that's okay. All. And perhaps I'm I'm more thinking of could they be somebody that this company is in some form or fashion built around instead of it? Could I envision a time where Biggie's the U.S. champion and Kofi and Xavier are the tag champions, and they literally are holding half of the titles in wrestling? Yes. Yes. 
Yes, absolutely. Right. I agree with right. that. Then maybe that's really. But that's that's no, not that's right. not main event. I will, you that's gave not... you gave ground on thinking of them as a stable. I will give ground. They are certainly not going to be world title. If there's ever a time where New Day, in some form or fashion, is world heavyweight champion, I will fall over with shock. For many reasons, one of which is obvious. All right. We have passed the hour and a half mark, and you and I know that once... We finally have talked more about wrestling than we did about pumpkins and Which is good, because I now have a list of every Oreo flavor in the world, and I'd like you to comment on every single one of them. I'm kidding, but we could do that on another show. Um, I'm going to let you pick our final topic of the evening. We can talk about Hell in a Cell, although we've got another week or two before that, so we really could wait and do that on a later edition. Um... Or we could talk about Halloween Havoc 1990, which we didn't get the chance to talk about last week. And at this point, we're running out of... There's like probably seven or eight more Halloween Havocs you need to watch and comment on before Shocktober yeah, is Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to get to all well, of you, them. You got into, I think I'll probably get you got to into one your, more. So. You need to watch the Chamber of Horrors match and maybe one or two other things, but really, that's it. All right, so very... You send me a list of the couple of things that I need to watch, and I will make sure I get to I watch will them. do that, and I invite you, Neighborhood, to do that as well. Hashtag, or no, at Doc Manson. You can hashtag it, Shocktober Wrestling or Halloween Havoc. Let Doc Manson know what you think he needs to watch. He needs to watch the Chamber of Horrors match. He probably needs to watch when the giant falls off the roof of the building. Uh, so I'll get you a list. All right. Um, I'm just going to read the card to you. From Halloween Havoc 1990? No. no? Stop. Okay. I mean, you can if you want. I don't want, want to, really. The things that I really... <laughs> the things that I really want to talk about in terms of Halloween Havoc 1990 have little to do with the actual okay, show. Okay, good. Uh, I think maybe we'll do the card I, afterwards. We don't even need to because the card uh, was pretty lame. What was the main event? Sting versus Sid Vicious in a non-gimmick match. Okay. Just a singles yeah. match. Yeah, so there was some weird stuff that happened there, though. There was, like, this black sting that was coming out, and there was, like, a switcheroo. It, oh, it was this, some, was it this was the some... Barry Windham is the fake sting kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there was, there was some good nonsense. There was some good nonsense in that match. Got it, got it, so, got it. So, good wrestle silly. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. that I, This is what I want to say about Halloween Havoc 1990. Uh, from the moment it begins, and there's this, there's this awful, dated... Clearly, sort of. Is this of, the one where uh, they go? You know, is this the haunted 90s. house thing where they go to Tony Schiavone's house, or is that a different one? Oh, uh, are they trick or treating at Tony Schiavone's house? One. Oh, that's no, coming later. No, and I have to see one. that because that oh. sounds brilliant. That sounds brilliant. Uh, this one opens up just with this awful early '90s sort of animated introduction, almost like. You know, this was going to be some sort of Scooby-Doo Halloween special. And, like, they're going through a haunted house, and there's ghosts floating around, and there's ghostly uh, visages visages of the different wrestlers, whatever you want to... It's it's just this this awful early 90s bad special effects uh, wrestle-silly Halloween-style thing. And I'll be honest with you, I started watching the Halloween Havocs because I wanted to see Halloween infused wrestle silly that's what i wanted to see and i was disappointed in halloween havoc 1989 because there was very little halloween about it none of it felt 
Well, nothing of it had the spirit of the season. You know what I mean? Except for there was a little bit of fake cobwebs on the cage in the last match there. But here, from the from that, that first opening, this awful animated thing that looks like it would be perfectly at home in any number of network Halloween specials from the time period, it immediately captured my attention and my heart. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I love that sort of, that, that awful nostalgia sort of feeling. And, and so then we, we, we cut over to our announcer's and I think it's a very young JR who is standing alongside a very young Paul Heyman. And Paul Heyman is in full Dracula garb. He's got the cape on, he's got the teeth in. He only takes about, I think, three words before he spits the teeth out. And I'll be honest with you, I was sort of disappointed. It wasn't even 20 minutes into the show and he already had the cape off. But just that one moment of him talking with the teeth in, the cape on, the whole get-up. Oh, I... This is ex- this is exactly what you want from a show called Halloween Havoc. It's got that that that, that after school special, that primetime Halloween network television Halloween special feel to it. They cut over to uh, what's the other guy's name? Tony Shavani. Uh, uh, I can never get his name right. Tony Schiavone. And he's dressed up as the Phantom of the Opera. He's got the mask on. He, to his credit, keeps that whole get up on the entire freaking night. It's just, it's dumb, it's stupid, and it's so, it's so good. It's so good. And even the stuff with Sting in the main event against Sid Vicious. And there's this, there's this other the black Sting, dark Sting, I don't know even what it's called, w- walking around and there's this promo and, oh God, did you see the, the, f-? and it's almost like this phantom uh, of the, the arena sort of thing. The black scorpion is who I believe you're talking about. Black scorpion, that's it. Oh yes, black scorpion. And it's, it's dumb. It's terrible. It's stupid. And it's exact. It, it is exactly what you want from a Halloween themed wrestling show. It's embracing this this the spirit of the season, the stupid, the awful, the 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 wonderful, the humorous, the hashtag wrestle silly. Uh man, the show is so good. If you liked it, that. I I might Except no, for of course the fine. card. But if the you like that, so I good, really <laughs> might have to insist that we actually get together and watch the Chamber of Horrors match because you're going to watch the match and I'm going to watch your giddy reactions (laughs) to the match because everything you said was great. The costumes were great, but the Chamber of Horrors match quite possibly is the most wrestle-silly you are ever going to see in the world unless you're talking about the kennel from hell match with Big Boss Man and Al Snow. Right. So... I mean, whatever you were just talking about when they're going trick or treating, uh, Tony Shavani, Shavani's house, Shavani. I can't ever get Tony Shavani. Whatever that is, what I mean, maybe that was no, the show. I think I, I think remember. that actually, whatever might, that is, that I have to see that. Too. We might we might have to do that. And I wonder, I wonder if we could record a podcast while we watch. We, we <laughs> might we might sure have we to delve try. into that. All right, we are. Approaching the one hour, 40 minute mark, uh, you and I never do well when we get towards two hours. Any final thoughts? Anything you want to share? Pumpkin related, bmoviegeek.com related, Shocktober related, wrestling related? Um, you know, the only thing I can say is 
uh, a lot of people when they do this, this is a thing actually on Twitter, the October horror movie challenge, 31 movies in 31 days. I call it hashtag shocktober. Um, a lot of people, they write up a list of the 31 movies that they're planning to watch and, you know, they post it up online, some sort of accountability so people will see it and they stick to it. I, freewheeling Doc Manson, I refuse to write myself a list. So I've sort of been playing it a little bit more by ear. Nothing is decided. It's a long month. I'm only, you know, seven movies in. Uh, I'll hopefully get to the eighth one tonight. Um... I'm sorry, the ninth one tonight. Um, anyways, if you have a recommendation for hashtag Shocktober at Doc Manson on Twitter, if there's a movie that I should watch, now I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you. I mean, I'm I'm somewhat limited in. I'm not gonna be going on to Amazon. I'm not gonna be spending forty dollars on an obscure Blu-ray. But if you know that there's something on Netflix Instant Streaming, if you know there is something on. Amazon Prime Instant. If you know that there is something available on DVD or Blu-ray through the mail-in Netflix service. Um, or maybe, it, I know there are some full movies on YouTube. Whatever that is. Those methods of watching these movies. If you know that there is something on there that you think I should watch as the, a lover of bad movies, um, send the suggestion my way. If I've seen it, it's not going to be eligible but I will, you know, at least send you a little tweet back about it, uh, at the very least. But if it's a movie I haven't seen, and if I watch the trailer and I'm interested, by all means, it might make it into hashtag Shocktober. So by all means, you got those suggestions, send them my way. They just, it's got to be horror related. It's got to be a horror movie. Horror comedies are fine, whatever. But suggestions at Doc Manson on Twitter. Alrighty, my final thoughts are this. Uh, I mentioned uh, our friend Vincent. He was part of the NAI draft, which. It's going to be gearing up soon, folks. I wanted to do it in December. We're getting closer to the second, no, third NAI draft. So if you're interested, make sure you get ready for that. Uh, at Vincent Adams 117 reminded us that we need to be positive. I don't want to gloss over the problems in professional wrestling, but I do want to accentuate the positives. So very quickly, in case you missed it, here are just a couple of the positives that Doc and I, or at least me, have about the week in wrestling. Asuka, amazing. Chad Gable and Jason Jordan and Dash Wilder and Scott Dawson. The tag team wrestling in NXT, really good. We both enjoy New Day. You have a hard time enjoying New Day because we're really not supposed to like New Day, but we do anyways. And we've got Kane, corporate but demoned, the Jekyll and Hyde of Kane. There's a whole lot going on in professional wrestling for you to be positive about. And I challenge you, neighborhood, to focus on the positives, promote positivity, and really find the things in wrestling that you enjoy and embrace them. Go for it, Doc. The only other thing I want to mention is I believe that you set up a email address. I did. We have a mailbag. Okay. I don't know what the address is, so if you want to plug it, if obviously you can get a hold of us on Twitter, but if you've got a longer statement to make, uh, something that you want to, you know, maybe even have read on the show. The email is probably the best if place If you to have send thoughts it. that go beyond 140 characters and you want a mailbag, we have. The email is very simple. D-D-T-Wrestling 
at gmail.com. I will be sharing the password with my friend Doc Manson so that we both are able to check it so you can send things to Doc, you can send things to me, we can read things on the air, you can send us topics to discuss, you can tell me what an idiot I am for not liking pumpkin, coffee, or horror movies. I'm okay with that. So, also I don't beer. like that either. Uh, I do like Oreos, though. I haven't tried. I haven't tried yeah, the Oreos. mega stuff ones yet, but I, at some point I have to. Me neither. They scare me. I'm afraid it's like too much of a good thing, and it'll ruin Oreos for me forever. Mega stuff Oreos, Chamber of Horrors. We need to touch base. All right, DDT Wrestling. That is the name of our new podcast. DDT Wrestling at Gmail dot com. He is Doc Manson. I am DC Matthews, and while the name has changed, don't you doubt it, we'll still see you around the neighborhood.